Alright everybody, welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is going to be episode number X. I mean episode number 10. Um, well, we'll talk about that. Um, so before we get started, just wanted to let everybody know there's only 16 hours left uh, to vote if you haven't yet voted or even if you have, you can vote again uh, for Maxim's Finest for Anna. So uh, Anna's hanging in tough. 16 hours left. Um, please guys make sure if you haven't voted that you do uh, you can vote through Facebook or you can vote with the warrior vote if you vote through the warrior vote a portion of the proceeds goes to benefits uh, homes for wounded warriors uh, so really good cause not much time left by the time this actually gets posted it's going to be even less than 16 hours uh, so please help out my good friend Anna let's see if we can help her win um, you know not much time left so every vote counts so let's get started with the show uh, lots of good stuff to talk about. Uh, we're gonna actually going to start with uh, basketball. Uh, so Sports Illustrated yesterday uh, came up with their NBA player rankings, and there was a lot of controversy. One of the bits of controversy was actually for the Raptors star, DeMar DeRozan. Uh, they actually had him ranked outside of the top 30, which alone is ridiculous to me because there's only 30 teams in the NBA. He's the best player on the Raptors. Um, you've got to be kidding me. He's not even in the top 30. I believe they ranked him 46. Um, you know, so DeMar DeRozan obviously wasn't happy. I don't think any Raptors fans are too happy with that ranking. Um, I think that it seems any time that these things happen, DeMar DeRozan always wants to prove a point. Um, I know he's not happy with this, so it'll be interesting to see what DeMar DeRozan does uh, to prove Sports Illustrated wrong because they're definitely wrong. If there's 30 teams in the NBA, I think every team has their best player. That player should be in the top 30 at least. And then you're talking about a player like DeMar DeRozan, who's an all-star um, outside of the top 30. That's totally, totally insane. Um, but that wasn't the only bit of controversy from that ranking, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on the show. Um, something else that was interested in this was reported by CNN, but I think it's kind of flown under the radar for a lot of people, is that yesterday uh, Bernie Sanders came out uh, more publicly with his new plan, Medicare for All. Um, and what was interesting about it yesterday wasn't just that Bernie came out with it, because you know everybody wouldn't be surprised by that, it was how much support he was starting to get and the momentum that was starting to build for this. Um, it started off with Senator Elizabeth Warren announcing that she will co-sponsor Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All. And then Cory Booker became the third Democrat to back Sanders' Medicare for All bill. And then Kamala Harris also came out uh, and tweeted, healthcare should be a right, not a privilege. Uh, Christine Gillibrand, she also came out and she tweeted, healthcare is a right, not a privilege. This week, I'll proudly join Senator Bernie Sanders to co-sponsor Medicare for All. And then there was an image tweeted by Sean King saying, I'm proud of each and every Democrat who is co-sponsoring Bernie's new Medicare for All bill. Uh, here's who we're waiting for to get on board. And he actually did an image 
of all the different senators uh, that are Democrats and which ones are supporting in green and which ones haven't come out yet in red. Um, so I thought that that was a really good tweet um, from Sean King. And it's interesting to see uh, the support. Uh, you know, if you were to go back two years ago, even a year ago, uh, the idea of Medicare for all would be viewed as too left, uh, too extreme. Um, there's no way the Democrats would support that. All of a sudden, it's becoming um, a major, major issue. And it seems like Bernie Sanders is starting to get some support for it. So um, I found that very, very interesting. Uh, so you'll notice that with that image that Sean King tweeted, uh, Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut was in red. So it didn't take long for the voters to call and for Richard Blumenthal to tweet out an hour later, uh, proud to announce my support for single-payer Medicare for all, led by Sanders. Let's make health care a right, not a luxury. So Joy Reid tweeted out, uh, Medicare for all is quickly becoming the default Democrat position. Amazing turn from 2009 when Democrats couldn't run from the public option fast enough. Um, and I would agree with what Joy is saying there. It's nice to see, it seems like, the Democrats have finally grown a set of balls um, and they're pursuing Medicare for all. And I think that one of the things that's kind of plagued uh, the Democratic Party is how they brand things. Um, you know, Republicans just seem to have a much better way of uh, branding things. I'll give you an example. The Patriot Act. If you just go by the name alone, you wouldn't have thought that, oh, this is going to talk about surveillance, this is going to talk about, you know, watching what all Americans do. Um, you know, it, it has a great title to it, Patriot Act, right? Um, so they've got a great way of branding things and making it sound better than what it actually is. Um, the Democrats have never really been there. Um, you know, with this, I like the branding of it because most Americans understand what Medicare provides. Um, most Americans, though, don't understand that it's coming from the government. Um, so to, to name it uh, Medicare for all, I think is a really smart move by the Democrats, and it's probably why uh, Bernie Sanders is getting the support that he's getting uh, for this bill. Uh, Christina Wilkie tweeted out, Bernie's single-payer plan has become the new litmus test for Democrats with presidential ambitions. And Erica Werner tweeted out, Pelosi is not on board with Sanders' single-payer bill. She says, quote, right now I'm protecting the ACA. And again, to me, that's why I don't really care for Nancy Pelosi. She doesn't take chances, even when she's in a position where she could. Um, you know, she's not the Speaker of the House. Uh, she's the leader of the minority in the House. And, um, you know, where's the leadership from her? You know, I, I don't see it. Um, and... and you know, I, I just kind of view her as a weak link. Um, I view the same thing of, of Chuck Schumer in the Senate for the Democrats. I don't really believe that those are the leaders of the Democratic Party, and I honestly think the Democratic Party would be better off just ditching both of them um, and moving on to, you know, they've got a lot of really 
really promising people. I look at Bernie Sanders, when you look at Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, um, you know, Al Franken as well. Um, you know, you've got some promising people in the Senate. Why is it being run by Chuck Schumer? Um, you don't really view Chuck Schumer as a leader for this Democratic Party. So Jeff Stein tweeted out, Tim Kaine pretty much rules out getting on single-payer bill, telling Jeff he prefers more choice in the marketplace. You know, that's what I think about what Tim Kaine just said there. I mean, you're not really a Democrat. Um, and, you know, it, it falls in line with uh, Hillary Clinton-type politics. That's why she chose Tim Kaine to be vice president, and it's probably why they both lost. Um, no ideas, um, just vanilla, boring politicians. Um, oh, you know, we want more options in the marketplace. Well, how does that really help people? Um, it doesn't. And yeah, like I'm not surprised, sadly. Um, but people like Tim Kaine, people like Nancy Pelosi, Chuck, Chuck Schumer, um, you know, these are the people that the Democrats should be voting out. Um, just like on the Republican side, they should be looking at getting rid of people like Ted Cruz, uh, Rand Paul, um, you know, Mitch McConnell, uh, Paul Ryan. Um, you know, you can list a short list of 10 people there, Democrats and Republicans, that are absolutely useless and uh, don't represent their parties well. Um, they just represent um, ignorance, I think, on both sides of the aisle. Uh, no, Mickey Kant tweeted out, I know one person who has no interest in being a Democratic presidential nominee, talking about Tim Kaine there, and I would agree with that. I think that pretty much rules him out. Not the smartest political instincts from that guy. Uh, to add to that, Avery Edison tweeted out, strong move for Tim Kaine to make against single payer in 2017, his new legacy, replacing VP candidate whose name I'm unable to remember. So I thought that was a good dig at Tim Kaine by Avery there. Um, Luke Savage tweeted out when Cory Booker signed on, um, this is proof that sustained effort and democratic pressure eventually moves even centrist politicians reliant on big donors. So I thought that was a good point. Uh, Jeff Stein continued some good tweets. He was saying, there's a palpable excitement or giddiness today among veteran lefties of the Hill watching more and more Senate Democrats back Bernie's bill. I mean, I don't think it's just excitement on the Hill. I think just in general and public, myself personally, um, I was excited to see this ball get rolling. Now, what I'm disappointed in is how the media kind of buried it in the news and how it wasn't really much of a story. But, um, you know, it, it could have still have some momentum. Um, I, I was interested to see the types of names that came out in support of it come out and support it. Um, it's not every day you see that from the Democrats. As I said, you know, it's nice to see that some Democrats, not all of them, but some Democrats grow some balls and actually push for something. Um, and yeah, like I think that this is the right issue to push for uh, for the Democratic side. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. And even more interesting to me was a tweet from at Fact Tank. Uh, so this is a Pew Research Fact Tank saying that 60% of Americans 
say the federal government is responsible for ensuring health care coverage for all Americans. And they break down, you know, in different demographics how that percentage uh, split. But yeah, that is interesting to me now that 60% of Americans believe that the government's responsible for providing health care for all of its citizens. Um, it's, it's a positive direction, I think, um, to see that moving in. And we don't have the ability to play this clip, because um, otherwise we get pulled off of YouTube. Um, but there is an awesome clip, yet again, from Seth Meyers, um, who takes a closer look at how President Trump is dealing with uh, Hurricane Irma, and also talking about Steve Bannon and some of the crazy stuff he was saying. Um, so uh, it's on YouTube. Definitely check it out. Uh, we won't be able to play it on this show, but if you get a chance to definitely check it out. It is hilarious and insightful, as always, with Seth Meyers. Also, yesterday we talked about Ted Cruz's history of wanting to make it so that the government uh, could somehow block people from masturbation. Um, what was interesting about that, the hypocrisy of that, is that it came out the other day, uh, Ted Cruz's porn search history. Um, so some of the ones that came out, the motions of making a baby but for fun, females wearing no slacks, sexy women that Ted likes, and zoomed in nips. So all of those in the search history for Ted Cruz, um, you know, it, it's not a surprise, I think, to many that he is a freak um, when it comes to that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, that tweet from Rob Fee. Um, so, okay, so as we were talking at the top of the show, uh, this is actually episode X, or as you would pronounce it, episode 10. Um, the reason for that, if you didn't already figure it out, Apple iPhone 10 just being announced uh, yesterday along with the iPhone 8 and the 8 Plus. Um, so a lot of news coming out about both of those devices, all, actually all three I guess if you want to put it all together and be technical. Um, so a lot of information coming out. Obviously I've got my thoughts that I wanted to share with you guys as well. But first let's break down some of the uh, bits of information that came out yesterday. So uh, Shira Abel tweeted out, there's glass in the front and the back, uh, so now you can break both sides. Um, so yeah, that, that was something that was interesting to me. Um, I've got a lot of friends that have Apple iPhones that they constantly break the screen. I've got an iPhone 7 Plus myself, but I've never broken the screen so far. Hopefully that streak continues. Um, but yeah, like uh, the fact that there's glass on the front and the back, I don't know if, if Apple's really thinking there. Uh, they might be like, oh, you know, this is cool, this is sleek. But for most people that use Apple iPhones, they're probably thinking, oh, oh great, you know, exactly like what she is saying. Now I can break both sides. Um, so Gabby tweeted out, the iPhone 8 now has glass on the back. Now I can shatter my screen on both sides and stare into my reflection with disappointment twice. So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Mifta tweeted out, the iPhone 8 deadass looks like the 7, except it's all glass. 
Uh, Sarah E. Needleman tweeted out, there's glass on the front and the back. iPhone case makers must be salivating right now. That's a good point. And then Safwan, a medium, uh, excuse me, Safwan tweeted out, um, Apple working with partners to get 4K HDR content to Apple TV 4K. Uh, if you've already bought HD content on iTunes, you'll get it in 4K for free. Um, and there they, they show 20th Century Fox, Lionsgate, Paramount, Universal, Warner Brothers, and Sony Pictures. So pretty much all of the major studios, uh, you know, if you've bought movies on iTunes and HD, as I have, um, you know, it's saying that you'd be able to get 4K uh, versions of it for free. Um, that would be pretty interesting. Um, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, Jenko Rokers tweeted out, Apple selling 4K movies for the same price as HD. That's actually big news. Free upgrade for previous HD purchases. So a lot of people, uh, like myself, pretty excited about that. Now, does that mean that I've got a 4K screen to watch it on right now? Not really, um, but, you know, pretty cool stuff. Uh, so CNET tweeted out that the Apple TV 4K isn't just 4K, it's 4K HDR. And they've got a GIF, which for some reason isn't playing um, right now. Uh, but you guys, if you're interested, you can view that on twitter.com slash thejohndnewton, and you can get an idea of the difference between 4K and 4K HDR. It doesn't sound like there's much of a difference, but this GIF picture actually really does show you a sharp contrast between the two. Um, and it is a noticeable difference, so uh, some pretty interesting stuff there. Um, then, going back to North Korea, because how can you do an episode without talking about North Korea? Um, President Trump came out and said that the sanctions are nothing compared to what ultimately will have to happen. Um, so let me see if I can play that clip for you guys. Uh, so you can hear it for yourself. Had a vote yesterday on sanctions. We think it's just another very small step. Not a big deal. Rex and I were just discussing. Not not big. I don't know if it has any impact, but certainly it, it was nice to get a 15 to nothing vote. But uh, those sanctions are nothing compared to what ultimately will have to happen. So yeah, when I heard that from Trump, the only response I had to that was, what? Um, it, it doesn't make sense uh, for Trump to be saying these types of things. Um, you know, just when you think like you can give Trump credit for things like when he was working with the Democrats to pass, um, you know, the debt ceiling, he goes back to his old self doing stupid things. Uh, so then there was a tweet from Joe Brown. He was saying, so I can just take your phone while you're asleep, hold it up in front of your face and unlock it. Sweet. Um, so yeah, like the new iPhone, um, I believe it's the iPhone 10, um, allows for you to get facial recognition, uh, which is something that some Android phones already have. Um, and a lot of people aren't too happy about it actually. Uh, because of the fact that it's pretty easy to hack um, and, and pretty much exactly like what Joe Brown's saying, like technically just putting it in front of the face of the person whose phone it is and the phone's unlocked. Um, so yeah, I thought that was uh, a really good point. 
uh, Raju tweeted out, one in a million, does that mean that if they unlock it, you found your doppelganger? Um, I, I thought that was a funny tweet too, because they actually did uh, advertise it that way. They're saying that it's, you know, one in a million faces. Um, there's obviously more than a million people in the world. There's more than a million people in Canada. There's more than a million people in the US. Um, there's more than a million people in Toronto, really. Um, so, yeah, like that phrase, one in a million, I don't think really makes people feel safe and secure when it comes to their, their phone with the new way to unlock it. Um, Will Conway tweeted out, iPhone 8 versus iPhone 10, is facial recognition worth it? I'm leaning towards no, plus I kind of like the home button. Uh, so do I, and I think a lot of people do. I think, um, you know, it's interesting how Apple is running things these days. You know, uh, last year with the iPhone 7, a lot of people weren't happy with the fact that it doesn't have the ability to plug in earphones. Um, you know, now you're, you're taking away the home button. Um, you know, it usually works that way with technology. People don't like it when features get removed. They only like it when features get added. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. Um, I think without the earphone jack, um, you know, it got people like me who, who you know, I've, as I said, I've got the iPhone 7 Plus. Um, you know, you, you start to use other technology. So you start to use uh, Bluetooth earphones, headphones. Um, and for me, like, I actually love the wireless aspect of Bluetooth headphones more. Um, so it, it doesn't really bother me. But, um, you know, I'd imagine the same thing is true of the home button. It's something that everybody's used to, but you try something else and maybe you'll feel like it's better. Um, but it, it's definitely an adjustment. Um, and it's like a forced adjustment by Apple um, to the consumer. So it's interesting to see uh, people's take on that. Um, Zach Busey uh, tweeted out, the only thing I don't like about the iPhone 10 is the cutout. Invent a way to shoot the camera through the screen, maybe. Um, and I would actually agree with that. I think it's funny that uh, Apple's, you know, going out and saying, oh, you know, the iPhone 10 is awesome because it co covers, like, the whole screen. Except it doesn't because there's, like, a huge chunk at the top made up of cameras and sensors and all that stuff. Um, that actually takes away from the experience. In a way, um, depending on, on how you're using the phone and what you're using it for, um, it might actually be better to have the box uh, in terms of viewing because it's almost like your, your, your eyes get drawn to that section that's cut out for the camera. So I, w I would agree with what Zach's saying. I think you know maybe they should have spent a little bit more time and money uh, researching how to get the camera under the screen, out of sight, out of mind. Um, yeah, I thought that was a really good tweet by Zach. Uh, David Pogue tweeted out, iPhone 10, no home button, so much relearning, swipe up for multitasking, swipe down for control center. And he put out a really good thought that nobody's really talking about, but there's no word on how do you make screenshots. Um, because before, like, you would just hold and press the home button and the volume button and all of a sudden it would take a snapshot of your screen um, there's really no word on, on that functionality with this new phone um, so that actually I thought was a really good point from David there um, for me personally my thought after watching all of this um, you know the iPhone 8 the iPhone 8 plus the iPhone 10 um, they all bore me nothing about them really excited me uh, there was 
there was a little bit of excitement for me for the possibilities that augmented reality provide, but not with a phone. I'm more interested to see what they do with that with like, uh, you know, Google Glass type of thing in the future. Um, I, I think it's, it's a very basic technology right now, but it might be something interesting that they tap into in the future um, with like an augmented slash virtual reality. Um, but we'll talk about that. But in general, the 8, the 8 Plus, and the 10, they bore me. Nothing about those phones really excites me. I think one of the things that was hilarious was people talking about, oh, it's wireless charging. And it turned out it's just regular wireless charging that you already have that you just, you know, plop your phone onto a charge mat, you know. Um, so pretty boring stuff. Um, and for me, like, I'm just happy with the iPhone 7 Plus that I have. There's nothing really exciting about the 8, the 8 Plus, or the 10 that's going to make me go out and buy them. Um, you know, people were excited, I guess, about the animal um, emoji things that you can change with your, your own movements and record. It's good for kids, I guess, like 12-year-olds or whatever, 5-year-olds, but, um, you know, for everybody else, there's Snapchat, and I think for most people, they're even bored with the filters on Snapchat, so, you know, I don't really think it's that interesting. Um, John Cooper tweeted out, going back, talking about Ted Cruz, America's favorite pervert, Ted Cruz, I love that label, so America's favorite pervert, Ted Cruz, blamed an inadvertent mistake uh, by his staff for liking a porn video on his Twitter account. Is Ted, and this is actually a poll, and interesting results here, six hours left, so if you're interested, you could still technically vote for this, this uh, poll on Twitter from John Cooper. Um, 6% so far say that he's innocent and pure of heart, Ted Cruz. Uh, 14% say he's an unscrupulous liar. Uh, 9% say that he's a porn-loving sex freak, and you can tell by the check mark where I voted, 71%, so yes, I'm in the majority in this, in this vote, uh, both a liar and a sex freak. Uh, so obviously I think those, that's the best description there uh, for Ted Cruz. America's favorite new pervert. Um, and again, it's that time of the show, cheap plug. Uh, if you're watching us on, on this on YouTube, thank you for watching. Um, thank you for subscribing, for sharing, for uh, commenting. Um, but there's other ways to consume this show, um, if, especially if you're on the go, if you're commuting, uh, anything like that. Um, you can definitely check us out on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, and even Podcast.com, our great host. Um, so many different ways to take in Papa John's brain droppings. I encourage you guys to, you know, explore them all. Um, and, you know, we're thankful for you exploring even just one of them, let alone any of them. Um, but definitely, you know, if you haven't had a chance to check us out on those other platforms, please do. So going back to uh, rankings, and this was actually ESPN's rankings, so not Sports Illustrated. I apologize for earlier. I was saying we'll go back to Sports Illustrated. This is actually ESPN's rankings. Uh, so Ian Begley tweeted out, Carmelo Anthony checks, at, checks in at number 64 in ESPN's NBA rankings, uh, one spot ahead of Marcus Smart, and get this, one spot below Lonzo Ball, 
who hasn't even played a game in the NBA yet. Uh, obviously, the big baller brand getting a lot of attention. Uh, Lonzo's dad, uh, especially his, even his brother, getting into the hype machine that is the Ball family um, and the big baller brand. But um, uh, so to me, like I didn't take it as big as a slam uh, for Carmelo Anthony as I did with Demar Derozan because Demar Derozan truly is the best player uh, on the Raptors. I don't think Carmelo Anthony is even the best player on the New York Knicks. You look at Kristaps Porzingis. Um, I think that he is by far the best player for the New York Knicks. So I, I don't think there's really as big of an argument uh, when it comes to Carmelo Anthony. I think most people view Carmelo Anthony at this point in his career as a disappointment, um, as a player who now keeps saying, you know, oh, you know, I want to play with LeBron and I want to play with so-and-so and all of this. It's like, dude, if you're as good as you think or say you are, you should be able to do it on whatever team you're on. Um, and don't get me wrong, like Carmelo Anthony was awesome back in the day in Syracuse and, you know, when he played in Denver. Um, but ever since he's come to the Knicks, I just feel like he's been a shell of himself. He's almost become uh, like a bum. Um, he just hasn't been able to produce the way that people thought he could. Um, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, if you put him with LeBron James, well, yeah, if you put anybody with LeBron James, their chances of winning goes up. But what can you do? as an individual player, you know, and, and what does that say about you? Like, you need to go play with other players. Now, you know, the same argument has been made about Kevin Durant going to Golden State, which I understand, um, but to Kevin Durant's credit, he went to Golden State, and you can argue that in that playoffs, in those playoffs, he was their best player. Um, so, you know, if you can't beat them, join them, but then become their best player. So the argument against Carmelo Anthony to me is, okay, you want to go play with LeBron James? Go play with him. But if you want to be in that same level as Kevin Durant, you better go play with, with LeBron James and be the better player than LeBron James, which I would be stunned if that ever happened. It's not going to happen. Um, and the chances even of Carmelo Anthony playing with LeBron James seems less and less each year. Um, but we'll see what happens. You know, obviously a lot of people are pointing to the Lakers for LeBron James. Maybe there's a chance Carmelo Anthony somehow ma makes his way there. Um, we'll see what happens. But so far, Carmelo Anthony is still with the New York Knicks. And Lonzo Ball, who's also with the Lakers, is one step ahead of him in terms of these rankings and I just view that as hilarious but and there's a tidbit here I tweeted out it would be nice if Melo finally did something to prove us all wrong about him so that's genuinely what I think about that then Tim and Sid had an interesting vote poll of their own um, they were saying who would you rather have as your starting goalie Mike Smith or Marc-Andre Fleury and this came after yesterday's news that Marc-Andre Fleury came out publicly and said he would have waived his no-trade clause to be traded to the Calgary Flames. Now, initially when I did this vote, I actually did vote with the majority as well on this, and 75% saying Marc-Andre Fleury would be the better starting goalie. But 
I've got nothing against Mike Smith. Um, he's represented himself well on a really shitty team in the Arizona Coyotes. Um, he's also represented himself well representing Team Canada in the past. Um, and, and if you look at both of their contract situations, same length of term, but Mike Smith comes in at a much smaller price on the cap. So if you're talking about value, Mike Smith might actually be the better value between the two players. But if you're talking about credentials, if you're talking about Stanley Cup rings, Marc-Andre Fleury is that guy. Um, but it's interesting now, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury is in an interesting position with the expansion uh, Vegas Knights team. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what Mike Smith does with the Calgary Flames. But this poll, I think, represents the thoughts of a lot of Calgary Flames fans. They don't really care so much about the cap space. They would probably rather have Marc-Andre Fleury, but at the end of the day, they don't. They've got Mike Smith. Not a bad consolation prize. I think Mike Smith is a really good goalie still, even at his age. Um, and I think that at the end, Calgary might actually be better off with this because, again, the cap space... Um, you know, you, you're not really locked up to a long-term deal with Mike Smith. You're really just there for two years. If he does great, great. If he doesn't, you can move forward. Um, so I actually think Calgary's in good shape in that. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in Calgary and with the Vegas Knights as well. Then there was this tweet, which I thought was awesome. Um, and this was actually an image of Tom Hanks, and you probably can't tell too well from the screenshot, but he's wearing a shirt that says, The Two Worst Mornings of the 21st Century, 9-11 and 11-9. Um, and it's got an image of the Twin Towers with the plane, and then it's in the shadow of Donald Trump. Uh, so 9-11 and then November 9th, uh, when we found out, Donald Trump won the presidency so I thought that was a really cool shirt uh, from Tom Hanks um, and then going back to the NFL uh, something that I forgot to comment on but I definitely wanted to because uh, I'm sure a lot of people were paying attention uh, so Tony Romo made his debut over the weekend uh, in you know the broadcast booth and he's replacing Sims and Sims I think is an easy person to replace because I don't think anybody thought he was doing a good job as a broadcaster, uh, but what Romo surprised, I think, everybody with, and it surprised me too, is how he was able to predict plays before they happened. Um, I thought that was, like, amazing. Like, if you go back and watch what he did, it was like you were watching The Amazing Kreskin or something. Like, he predicted every single play that happened in the game before it actually happened, and he was mostly correct. Um, so, I thought that was interesting. I, I, I uh, forgot to mention that earlier, but definitely something that I'm going to continue to watch for as we watch uh, Tony Romo evolve in the broadcast booth but I thought really good debut and uh, really interesting like how often he was correct predicting plays before they happened uh, so going back into politics uh, the Supreme Court the Associated Press released yesterday allows the Trump administration to continue their ban on most refugees and my thoughts on that were um, you know this is the real consequence of Trump being elected um, you know the fact that he got to appoint the new Supreme Court justice um, 
Unfortunately, I think it's a sign of things to come from this conservative-leaning Supreme Court, and I find it very disappointing and very disgusting. Um, you know, we were talking so much on this podcast about the branches of, of power in uh, government in the U.S., and, you know, the judicial branch a lot of times gets ignored. Um, but they've got power too, and the Supreme Court has the ultimate power uh, in that sense. So, um, unfortunately, it seems like the next generation of decisions from the Supreme Court are going to be more conservative-leaning, which is troubling to me um, because it seems like the mainstream of America, most of America, including the people that don't vote, which is a lot of Americans, most of Americans, um, their views don't match that. So you've now got a system where the justices that decide on all the important issues out there are not in line with the general American public. And that is the ultimate way to me of showing how broken this government is the fact that you've got a supreme court that does not reflect the views of the american people that's how broken the government has become in my mind and speaking of broken government and petty back and forth uh, cj saramella tweeted out uh, the House adopts amendment to block funding for Sessions' asset forfeiture directive, which I reported. Um, you know, and I, I responded to that, you know, and the petty back and forth between the Republican Congress and Trump's administration continues. And, you know, where is this going? Why is this even happening? I don't know. Um, I, I blame both sides. I think Trump's leadership is weak as hell. Um, he hasn't really passed anything except the debt ceiling with Democrats. Um, and the Republican leadership in Congress is an absolute fucking joke. Paul Ryan, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell. Yeah, I don't even want to get into that because you guys know. Um, Bruce Merkin tweeted out. Even some Republicans understand that asset forfeiture is theft, and Jeff Sessions is a monster. Um, so, interesting thoughts there. Then there was a video clip. Uh, I was watching uh, last night like a lot of different MMA fights that I'd forgotten about. Um, a lot of times like you'll watch something on YouTube and you just kind of go down a rabbit hole of videos. Um, one of the ones that I was watching was an old-school one from 1993 K1 uh, featuring Maurice Smith and Ernesto Hoost. Um, and we haven't really talked about MMA on this podcast, but I'm a huge fan, and I wanted to play this for you guys. Because I found this fight very interesting. But I'm going to skip 
to the end because that's the part that interested me the most. In particular, that kick. Um, the fact that he measured it with his hand and then he had the flexibility to go up that high. And that was a high, high placed kick. Um, you know, all the credit there. Um, unbelievable. So yeah, if, if you haven't seen uh, footage of Ernesto Hoost, go back, check it out on YouTube. That's probably one of the best fights I've seen. In particular, that kick, that highly placed kick, uh, just shows the flexibility that Ernesto Hoost has. Um, you know, really, really powerful kick. Something that I definitely wanted to share with you guys on the podcast. The other thing that I wanted to share with you guys on the podcast was actually a stare down going back to uh, MMA, uh, a stare down between uh, Krokop and uh, Wanderlei Silva. Um, this was intense because Wanderlei Silva is always intense. But look at the eyes, look at the face of Mirko Krokop just staring down at him. That stare down is scary. Krokop stare back at a murderer like Wanderlei Silva like that. Very, very intense. Um, and you know, as I was saying, like I was going deep, um, going back into a lot of different things yesterday. I just went down a rabbit hole of MMA. Um, I went back and I was looking at um, some of the worst eye pokes in UFC history. And this image to me shows one of the worst ones that I ever saw. Um, and this one, then it went like a knuckle deep, as you can tell from the image, it went like a knuckle deep into the eye. Uh, and yeah, like it, it was very, very intense. Um, but yeah, going even deeper into uh, that rabbit hole, uh, I was looking at from 1995, uh, a clip from uh, Henzo Gracie taking on Spence Spikers, and there was so much disrespect from Spikers towards uh, Gracie that at the end of this fight, pretty uncharacteristic of the Gracies, um, he actually stepped on Ben Spikers' head. Um, so I wanted to play that for you guys because I just found it so crazy. Clearly, it defeated him, 
tries to be the sportsman. I don't know if that's the sort of thing that they're going to appreciate here. Nonetheless, you have to give credit to Hensel Gracie. He did what he said he was going to do. So it's interesting too to hear the commentators saying that he didn't mean to step on his head. Um, but if you go back and uh, I've even gone back to watch like old shows uh, of Joe Rogan's podcast and even he was saying that um, apparently the stuff that Spikers was doing uh, leading up to the fight aggravated uh, Henzo so much that he actually did mean to step on his head. Um, the level of disrespect between the two um, you know, in, in mixed martial arts, you hate to see any type of disrespect, especially after a fight's been completed. You want to see the respect between the two fighters. But um, that's how crazy things got, that somebody like Henzo Gracie actually stepped on the head of his competitor. Um, so, yeah, that's how heated it got between those two. Um, and then, you know, speaking of gruesome injuries, we talked about the eye poke, but... Uh, UFC 203, uh, Travis Brown's finger um, also suffered a gruesome injury. Um, that is on foxsports.com. Uh, it's an old, old injury, uh, but it's something that, you know, as I was going down that rabbit hole of mixed martial arts last night, um, I, I tweeted out. So if you're interested in that article, definitely uh, follow us, twitter.com slash thejohnbnewton, and you can check out that article. Um, another interesting thing, uh, just a, a, a brain dropping, a random thought that I had, um, you know, we've talked so much on this podcast about being open-minded, um, but sometimes, you know, just like with anything, it's only good in a moderation. Um, so what I mean by that is like, you can be so open-minded that you can be gullible. And that's what you don't want to be is you don't want to be so open-minded that you're actually gullible and would believe anything. Um, so I thought that that was you know, a really good thought, really good brain dropping. Um, the other thing is, uh, Uberfax tweeted out the other day, uh, starvation can produce profound mental clarity. And I said, yeah, that you're hungry. Um, Uberfax also tweeted out that an Air Canada passenger plane while in midair once received a request from the Australian air traffic control to locate a stranded sailor on a yacht all 270 passengers and crew on the flight searched from above and finally located the sailor. So I thought that was a pretty cool story um, happening, of course, with Air Canada. Um, so Mike Flynn continues to be in the news. Uh, this time there's new allegations that he concealed overseas contacts. Um, this is information that's been turned over to Robert Mueller as part of the investigation. Um, into the Russia investigation. So I wanted to play this clip. Uh, this is from ABC News about these new revelations about... The new allegations today against General Flynn involve what are being called more than a dozen contacts overseas for a private business venture that congressional investigators tell ABC News Flynn concealed from authorities. Information that Congressman Elijah Cummins says has now been turned over to Special Counsel Robert Mueller. General Flynn spent the summer in Newport, Rhode Island, seen in this photo, proudly posted by his son as the general tried to stay out of the headlines. General Flynn? Yeah. Brian Ross, ABC News, how are you? I just wanted to ask you if you had anything you wanted no, to say. No, I sure don't. Everyone's asking what's no, going on I'm in, in, you in your what, case. I really, I really uh, you know, have the, a great time with my family. 
But Congress spent the summer gathering new information. The Democrats say reveals Flynn committed criminal acts by omitting and concealing contacts and travel overseas, which they say should have been disclosed for his security clearance. Investigators used Flynn's own words against him, reviewing speeches and news interviews in which he boasted of his overseas contacts. I have spoken to uh, friends in Saudi, friends in Egypt, friends in Kuwait, friends in Qatar, friends in the UAE. But Flynn did not list any contacts in those countries as required on his disclosure form, according to congressional investigators. It's subject to a five-year jail sentence. I think that's pretty serious. Flynn is also under scrutiny for his alleged role in a bizarre proposal to kidnap this exiled Turkish dissident, Fethullah Gulen, from rural Pennsylvania and send him back to Turkey. Former CIA director James Woolsey told ABC News he was at a meeting in which Flynn raised the prospect. They were seriously considering a kidnapping operation for Gulen, and uh, I told them then that uh, uh, it was a bad idea, it was illegal. That's right. All at the same time that General yes, Flynn was right. serving as candidate Donald Trump's top national security advisor. That would be outrageous to talk about a kidnapping on American soil. When we tried to ask Flynn about the allegations, now coming out of Washington, his family stepped in to protect him. But thanks so much. Yeah, the allegations about, are they Thank bothering you. you from a distance, sir? Thank you very they much. bother me from a distance. Thank I, you. I, Flynn's lawyer says his client was not part of any plot, any discussions involving a kidnapping. And in the end, the importance of these allegations may be that prosecutors can use them as a kind of hammer to cut a deal with Flynn to get him to tell whatever he knows about the president and Russia. All right, we know. I loved Brian Ross's reaction there at the end when the woman, when his, I guess it was his wife, was saying, you bother me from a distance. <laughs> um, but yeah, Michael Flynn, uh, you know, innocent until proven guilty of course but um you know the case against him is looking more and more interesting um and, and what's even more interesting is like they were saying there in that clip um you know they're using his own words things that he said to the media against him um and you know that's now in the hands of robert Mueller uh, as, as part of the investigation um so yeah some pretty interesting stuff there that tweeted out by evan mcmurray um then, you know, we were talking about the iPhone 10, the iPhone 8, and the 8 Plus. Now, I did say that those phones bore me, but there is one thing that the National actually also picked up on uh, that does interest me about the iPhones, and it's that augmented reality. Um, not so much because of the phone itself, but what the future could be with those. And this um, does a really good job of explaining that, so I wanted to play this clip for you guys as well. It's been 10 years since Steve Jobs unveiled the iPhone. And today, Apple unveiled its newest models with what its current CEO calls the biggest leap forward since that first device. The company is throwing a lot of money behind technology it sees as the future, augmented reality, or AR. Our tech reporter, Matthew Braga, was at the unveiling and joins us now. So Matt, tell us more, what, what is augmented reality or AR? 
Yeah, so augmented reality is this layering of digital information onto the physical world, right? In this case, as viewed through the lens of your smartphone's camera. Now, it's actually been around for a long time, but you know, Apple has sort of come along and uh, is trying to actually bring this technology mainstream. So today, you know, they've got its new uh, iPhone 8, its new iPhone X, or iPhone 10 as it's called, uh, and both of these have you know more powerful sensors, more powerful cameras, software, and things like that built into it. And they're betting that this is going to help take that augmented reality experience to the next level, right? It's actually going to make this palatable for sort of regular users. And so they offered a few examples on stage of, uh, you know, what that next level actually looks like, right? So there was a 3D game, uh, sort of this powerful stargazing experience that kind of maps to the sky. Uh, and then this really interesting experience for Major League Baseball, right? That kind of puts information above players' heads while you're watching the game. They say it's totally going to change the way that you watch baseball. So it all sounds very cool, but are there practical applications too? Not, but that's not practical. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, until now, a lot of these experiences have been games. They've been sort of experiences like the Snapchat, you know, hot dog and then face filters and things. But developers have actually been spending the last few months trying to make this stuff a little bit more practical, trying to find those sort of useful examples, right? So, you know, we've seen examples of, of a virtual tape measuring app, right, that, uh, you know, you can use to kind of measure objects. Uh, IKEA has been working to update its app so you can kind of see how furniture fits into your house before you actually go buy it. Uh, and you've got companies that are, you know, working on creating sort of menus that sort of visualize what the food looks like on your table before you actually uh, order it. And, you know, what's important to remember is a lot of analysts and industry watchers basically say that these are kind of just stepping stones, right, to the sort of things that, you know, Microsoft and Google are working on. These head-mounted displays, these goggles, that'll actually be, you know, even more immersive, right? You'll be able to use your hands, you'll be able to kind of look through uh, sort of this device that sits on your face. Uh, and, you know, it's really being pitched to sort of, you know, not just the future of fun, but the future of work, right? So imagine, you know, instead of having to Google how to fix a drain, you've just got the instructions right there on front of your face. Now, that's way off in the future, but what we have for now is Apple looking at how to bring those experiences to, you know, the hundreds of millions of devices that people already have in their pockets. And all this for just a thousand dollars U.S. Sound exciting, though. Thanks so much. Yes, all of that for just a thousand dollars. So, yeah, for me, is that price worth it? No, especially if you already got, like, a 7 Plus like I do. Not really worth it, but... What interests me is like the applications of that technology, augmented reality, exactly like what that guy was saying. Um, you know, with the goggles, uh, what the future could be for that in the next 10 years, even the next five years really, could be life-changing for a lot of people. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, right now it's kind of silly because it's like in the form of like Snapchat filters uh, for the most part. Um, and as he was saying, games and stuff like that, but uh, that is the only thing that really came out of uh, these announcements at the Apple event that really interested me. Um, and then we'll end the show with another Uber fact that I thought was uh, surprising. It says, according to one survey, men spend nearly a year of their life simply staring at women. And I was saying, that's all? Only a year? Um, that seems a bit small to me. Um, but maybe I'm a freak like Ted Cruz. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that's it for the show. Um, if you guys haven't had a chance yet, please, please do. This is really like the last chance. Um, just 16 hours to go. Um, and actually, by the time you guys watch this, once it's been edited, it's probably going to be even less than that. Um, so please, guys, go to the link. It's at the bottom for YouTube. It's on all of our platforms. Um, please support Anna. Uh, she's a really good friend of mine. Uh, she's currently 14th in the group. 
Um, every vote counts. Um, if you can vote through Facebook, that would be most appreciated. If you can vote with the warrior vote, um, a portion of the proceeds benefits Homes for Wounded Warriors as well. Um, so, you know, however you vote, please do. Um, you know, it's, it would be nice to see Anna win. Um, you know, that's what we're pushing for. Um, you know, check out the link. Um, and yeah, let's see if we can make it happen. Uh, from 14th to 1st, um, thank you guys so much for, for watching the show. Um, and we look forward to uh, the next episode.